Yeah, that'd be kind of nice to add something like that. You know what I would like to add to Sue's interview, though? I, I think it'd be cool to just mention the, the um, scenario that we're finding ourselves in right now, which is that, like, Sue is, like, hunched over behind a bush. I've <laughs> <laughs> hey, got the heifers behind me. Too bad we can't put them on. <laughs> Welcome to the Collective Creamery Podcast, where we're crafting the conversation around American artisan and cheese. Steph, this is really great that we are able to connect over Skype to do the intro for the interview with me. Well, we did a few months ago. You know, it's just showing how high tech we are that we can pull something like this off remotely. And I will say that I'm looking at Sue Miller right now on a screen as she is crouching down in her pasture with her heifers in the background birds are chirping and since she doesn't have cell phone service in her house she has to be outside this is the life of a dairy farmer I just love it this is exactly the way that I always want to be skyping with you Sue Miller (laughs) it's it's a crazy world I was trying to keep the heifers from like reaching through the fence to like you know, much on my shoulders while we were interviewing and I created such a ruckus. We had to start over. <laughs> they want to be it's a part of fun. the podcast and they deserve to be because they're the whole reason why we're doing this. Well, you know what I say? I always say it's all about the cows. It's true. <laughs> and we're <laughs> sad to say that Alex is not with us today. She is uh, busy orchestrating the logistics behind our cheese club getting ready for an upcoming event that we're having, which is a wood-fired feast in a colonial bake oven at my place at the end of the month. And um, she is just holding down the fort while um, Sue is frolicking in the pastures, basically. Pretty much. (laughs) Alex is the brains of the operation. (laughs) She keeps it all together. She does. In this episode, we're interviewing our very own Sue Miller. and. It's it's a special interview. Sue is known as the fairy godmother of Pennsylvania cheese, and for good reason. She and her husband, Ken, have been dairy farming for over 25 years on the very farm where she is currently standing, <laughs> Skyping with us today. Um, they manage about 54 acres, and they rent additional ground in the community for their cows and to be able to feed their cows. And um, they are true family affair. I think that's one of the unique things about their operation is that um, Sue and Ken and their two sons, Randy and Jesse, are such a team behind, such a a force behind um, the operation, producing milk, raising crops, and um, making this high-quality, award-winning cheese that is just beloved by chefs and foodies within the Philadelphia community and beyond. Um, we just, we, we love Sue and she uh, <laughs> makes a great interview. <laughs> we love me. We just love me. <laughs> the, first, the first version Sorry. was better. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
right. And today in the hot seat, uh, our cheesemaker extraordinaire, Sue Miller, one third of Collective Creamery. Uh, <laughs> we're going to grill her and find out what makes her tick, what keeps her up at night, uh, what makes her keep going uh, at her farm, Birchwood Hills. Hey, everybody. There's a lot that keeps me up at night. <laughs> there's a lot that keeps me going every day. So let's get going. <laughs> so, Sue, I know you mentioned uh, when we first started the podcast that you were um, – you and your husband were, were milking cows. You know, you were acting as a dairy farm selling fluid milk. And you decided one day to make cheese. Um, maybe we can start talking about what prompted you to make that decision. Why did you guys need to start making cheese? That's a really great question. So for my husband, Ken and I, we're both first generation dairy farmers in Chester County, an hour outside of Philadelphia. And the reason that's important to this story is that we live in an area where the cost of living is very high for farms, Mm -hmm. even for farms. So here we were trying to purchase this farm on land that is really valuable And trying to earn a living selling milk on the commodity milk market because we wanted to be dairy farmers and that seemed like the best way for a long time. And for a while it was. Um, But the milk market is very um, fickle. You have these kind of short highs and long lows. And that commodity market is a real challenge if you don't have multi-generational equity built in your land. And Mm -hmm. we didn't because we were Mm -hmm. first-generation farmers. So we found ourselves really struggling, struggling to make ends meet, struggling to really um, do what we wanted to do and to have a vision for doing that for the long haul. And one morning, well, one night, I woke up in the morning, went to sleep, and I woke up in the morning and I thought, I'm going to learn how to make cheese. So it came about from this inability to be able to really um, fund our farm the way it needed to be funded. And I took a class with a cheesemaker from Vermont, Peter Dixon. And as you listen to this podcast, you'll hear the three of us kind of refer to this this person, Peter, who is a cheesemaker in Vermont, who has shared his knowledge with many cheesemakers across the United States. He is pretty selfless. Um, and what drives him is wanting to um, support the community of cheese across the U.S. So I took a class with him in Western Pennsylvania, and I came home and happened to be able to rent this vacant cheesemaking facility four miles from my farm, which that's almost unheard of. Um, And we started making cheese. So that's how we got into it, from a dream. (laughs) (laughs) And can you talk a little bit about this cheesemaking facility? Like you have all the cows on your farm in Chester County, um, you drive the four miles to the Camp Hill Special School, right? Yeah, Camp Hill Village, mm-hmm. um, Kimberton Hills, and um, it's an intentional community for adults with disabilities. And there are Camp Hill um, communities all over the world. In fact, there's one right four miles down the road from our farm, um, Kimberton Hills location. And it's a beautiful spot. Um, they have their own dairy farm there, which is why they had a cheesemaking facility. They were able to sell um, raw, jugged raw milk through local cooperatives mm-hmm. and through their CSA mm-hmm. on the farm and also to um, a cheesemaking business across the creek, r- literally across the creek, the French Creek, Seven Stars Dairy, in case you know of their yogurt. And um, they didn't have the need to make cheese. So that's why this 
this facility was vacant. When they heard that we were interested in making cheese, they reached out to us and said, why don't you use our facility? So for us, that was so very important because remember, our farm was struggling financially. We didn't have the capital to invest in building a $250,000 cheese making facility. We were just trying to figure out how to keep the electric on. Uh, and so this really gave us an opportunity to get started, mm-hmm. which was phenomenal. It's a quirky little place. You know, we're able to deal with that through uh, management. And when I say management, we're just like constantly taking care of the cheeses because the environment, as we heard in the last episode, like Valley Milk House, is not perfect. Mm-hmm. It's very imperfect. And I think that that challenge of managing environmental conditions is um, really drives you to be a better cheesemaker. So we just have to pay a lot of attention to the cheese all the time <laughs> because of those conditions. And I've been, A, in that cheese room, which is very small, but... I think it was many years ago when I, I toured your farm when I, I was working at Fair Food and or I think even before I worked at Fair Food and it's like a large closet is your aging room. It's, very, <laughs> it's like a small, small space. You've got blue cheeses in with all the other cheeses, which can be a really challenging thing because blue mold likes to get into any cheese. And I just remember being like amazed that you're able to do what you do in this, um, like you said, you know, not ideal facility. It's kind of a great metaphor for Sue Miller, actually. Okay, just to figure out. No, I have to. I have to take this opportunity because um, Sue. I do feel you know Sue, as we've mentioned before, is the fairy godmother of Pennsylvania cheese. She takes everybody under her wing and uh, makes sure that we're all getting along and collaborating and working together. And uh, that's kind of how your cheese cave, cave cooperates, isn't it? Yeah, You'd I think guess. that there could be a lot of... Um, <laughs> I hope it seem like I'm a busybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, just the fact that you're able to age your, you know, vivacious uh, blue um, alongside something as delicate as your, you know, Alpine Equinox is pretty amazing. Like right. you find a way to create these very distinguished characteristics in your cheeses without um, having too much of it blend together just because they're all in the same environment. Mm, right. So That's there's like point. collaboration, but identity. It's beautiful. It's what we want Pennsylvania cheese to be all about. Oh, thank you for I saying that. I love that. I just it thought of this. It sounds so much better when you put it that way. <laughs> well, another thing, like when I talk, tell people about cheese making in Pennsylvania or I talk about Sue Miller, I say, this is the kind of person Sue Miller is. She decided she was going to make cheese. And the first one, the first cheese that she decided to make was the hardest cheese for many cheesemakers to make, which is a blue cheese. And her Birch Run Blue is one of the most iconic Pennsylvania cheeses because she's been making it for so long and it's incredibly delicious and she's perfected it. But it's still, when I, when I think of you, I think of the kind of person who's going to do something really audacious, have that <laughs> audacity uh, and like go after something that she likes to eat, even if it's not the easiest cheese to make. Yeah, I think it was really a case of ignorance is bliss. (laughs) I wanted to make something that I love to eat. And as a child, I I didn't grow up on a dairy farm, but my parents were always interested in eating all types of things. You know, we always had just my dad traveled a lot. So he brought food home from all over the place. Mm -hmm. And we would be so excited when he came in from a long trip to see what he brought. Had he brought sourdough bread from San Francisco. Now, you have to remember in the 70s when I was a kid, there was 
really no sourdough bread (laughs) in Northern Chester County. So my parents had lived in San Francisco. And every time my dad went for a trip there, my mother made it very clear he could not come home without sourdough bread. (laughs) So this adventurous food spirit, much like Stephanie's from, you know, her culture growing up, um, really helped form my for my identity. And as a kid, I can remember going to the Italian market and going into De Bruno Brothers and just being in a sense of wonderment mm-hmm. of the smells and of the cheeses and of the mongers and of just the spirit of the food. And then forgot about it pretty much until it was awakened in me as a dairy farmer. So you just never know what kind of groundwork is being laid when you're working with your children. Well, and you're working with your children now. Yeah. And Tell I hope us about that. I hope that we've inspired that same spirit with, with our children who are now grown men. I, both of our kids have made a decision after going to college to come back and work with us in the family farm. And to me, this is really um, important. And because family farms are struggling all across North America, and many of them are looking for an exit plan where our family is welcoming the next generation. And I think that comes from this vision of adding value to the milk in the form of cheese and having the support of the cheese eating community uh, drive that conversation for what our farm's going to look like in the future. And for them to come back, Uh, it was that they saw that there was a future for a small dairy farm Mm -hmm. where there aren't a lot of farmers across the country seeing that there's a future for a small family Mm -hmm. dairy. So we're really excited about that. And cheese has been like what created that future. It's definitely the driver. It's definitely the driver. And, you know, our whole family, we can't just eat a piece of block cheddar anymore. (laughs) (laughs) everyone has their you know the cheeses that they like and our cheese war is just a really exciting mix-up of friends cheese that we admire and you're also unique in that you you don't just milk the cows and make the cheese from that milk so you are a farmstead cheesemaker but you also grow your own feed so there are lots of different components of this agricultural operation that go into like a wedge of Bertrand Blue or Equinox. Yeah, we do grow grow as much feed as we can possibly do. Now, if there's a challenging growing year, we'll have mm-hmm. to bring feed in. But our goal is to farm enough land so that we can grow enough feed for our own cows for the year. We do buy in extra ingredients like salt and whatnot to balance out the feed ration minerals and and such. But it's really important to us to be good stewards of the land, of the area. And I have to say, Northern Chester County, in the last 20 years, we've seen a great loss of farmland mm-hmm. to development. So the land remaining needs to be cared for in the most a caring way possible. And we feel honored to be able to do that and provide that service for landowners. We want to keep it in great, in better condition than we started with it so that the next generation can continue to farm the land, basically reap the benefits. So what are the, some of the, I guess, what are some of the, the strengths that you see as your farm? I mean, what are some of like the um, the feeds that go into your program, into your dairy program, how does that influence the cheese? Like, what, what are you most proud of about your farm right now? And I'm sure that's evolved. Well, I'm really proud of the way we care for the land. My mm-hmm. husband is a really great farmer. And I can say that because I'm his wife. I mean, he has, 
<laughs> this institutional knowledge of the land from when he was a child listening to the farmers of the community talk about different fields and how they produced. And I think um, as a young man, he also did a lot of custom farming for people. So he was on this ground helping to plant and harvest the crops throughout in within 10 miles of our farm. He did mm -hmm. this type of work. Even some ground up here in Douglasville, he farmed for, for other people. Wow. So his um, knowledge of the soil types, of how the ground lays, of the microclimates of that land, you know, changing on different hillsides, northern exposure, southern exposure, really informs him to what crops were going to grow there what our crop rotation is going to be, what amendments we're going to put into the soil. And um, sadly enough, we had a piece of ground that he farmed for over 20 years that was sold to development. And when the soil scientists came in for the developer and tested the land, they just could not get over the amount of um, topsoil, the mm -hmm. amount of fertility, the amount of organic matter. And it just about broke our hearts. Oh. So and now there's you know, a condo on it or something. And now there are yeah. many houses built on that, which will be the last crop of that ground. So for us, we're really passionate about protecting farmers, um, you know, sharing anything we can share to help them find a way to continue to stay on the land. And really, honestly, I don't want them to be, I want them to prosper. Mm -hmm. I want our family farm to prosper, and this is our quest for that. Hmm. The cheese is our quest for prosperity for our family farm. And so you spent, I think, the past 11 years kind of bootstrapping and, you know, um, making things happen by any means necessary. <laughs> you and got that right. <laughs> I, I want to maybe recap a couple a couple things that have always been, like, so hard for me to believe that, like, you've actually been able to make it work. In addition to driving – to the cheese, like bringing the milk to the cheese making facility, driving the way back, back and forth. You were also doing all of the sales, marketing, farmers markets in. And milking. Yeah. And, and three or four different farmers markets, bringing wholesale orders, you know, every day of the week to Philly and milking twice a day. That was your job. Um, before, before your sons were older, you know, you did, you did so much and only in the past, what year? Um, you've, you have robotic milkers now, which, you know, makes a better standard for the cows, frees you guys up a little bit. Um, but you're at a really exciting inflection point with your farm now. After this decade of making it work, you guys are, are going to enter a new chapter. Yeah, we're entering a new chapter. And I want to say that that story of what I've done is really not just unique to me. That's the way it is for many farm families. You know, you do what it takes, you make the sacrifices you need to make for the farm. And, you know, it's not a badge of honor. It's probably just what we do. You know, it's what you do to make it work. And interestingly enough, since both of our sons have come back and taken over the management of the dairy, it has um, given me the time to really focus on the cheese. But I feel like I'm not as connected to the cows because mm. the whole reason we started mm. making cheese was so that we can continue to make the cows. And I may be different from some cheesemakers. I make cheese so that we can take care of our herd. Mm -hmm. We don't, you know, 
the cheese is a byproduct of the dairy animals. It's all about the milk. I will always say when people say, Oh, this is tasting really great. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the first person to say it's all about the cows. And that goes back to the last episode, mm-hmm. um, where Stephanie brought up about Peter Dixon saying that 50% of the cheese making is all about the milk. It's all about what the cows are eating. And for us, our whole endeavor revolves around the animals. And, you know, my love of it. In fact, I, it was getting so desperate. I was spending so little time with the cows. I made my son put a bunch of uh, heifers that are almost due to have calves in my backyard so I could see them every morning. <laughs> so every morning before we, I go to the cheese room, I go out and love on them and give them utter therapy. <laughs> you may I be gotta, wondering. We need to do an episode on utter therapy. <laughs> it's I have a, no it's idea a massage technique. It's to yes. prepare the cows for oh. um, milking for the first time. Is it is. Right? The heifers, when they're just two years old, they know nothing about what's going Nursing. to be expected of them <laughs> when they're being milked. So I go out there and I just give them a little utter therapy so they know we're going to be up there, you know, attaching the milkers to them. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they do well. It may just be a farce in my own mind. And a the heifer, human touch. Just so people know, a heifer is a cow that has not – a heifer is not a cow. A heifer has not had a calf yet. Yes. Yeah. So yes. that's the difference. Someone calls you a heifer, that's because you're That's a, a young, different story. A young – Person, I guess a young woman. There you go. Um, anyway, they're females. So, <laughs> young females. So, and then once once they have the calf, they become a cow, right? That's correct. And, well, and the dam of that calf. Anyway, we can talk all about the udders. We and, could go down the slippery yeah. slope. There's, um, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, so, so yeah. Now you've got you've got a little more time to make cheese. Um, but you've also you were just showing us some pictures on your phone of the brand new facility that you've yeah. been working on for how many years now? So after. 12 years of kind of building our cheese business and healing kind of like healing our farm from this financial strife Mm -hmm. of the commodity market. It sounds crazy to think it's taken us this long, but the whole time we've been, I've been trying to hone my craft, which, you know, I have to say, I'll spend my lifetime doing this, happily doing it like any good craftsman and just happy to be open to that. Uh, We are, have broken ground on our cheese making facility. We're three years behind schedule, but you know, (laughs) but you're there. Yeah. And anybody who knows me knows I'm always late to everything. So maybe I'm actually on time. Mm -hmm. So we've broken ground. The walls are up. We had an electrical inspection yesterday. We hope to be moving in, um, in 30 days or so. Oh my God. And so so it's exciting. (laughs) Um, We're curious about what kind of changes we're going to see when we're in this new facility. What is the terroir of Horseshoe Trail going to be versus over there Mm. at Camp Hill Village, Kimberton Hills? Uh, It's an exciting, it's an exciting opportunity. Congratulations. Thank you. It's finally here. Well-deserved. So you'll have your own office. You'll have have production (laughs) space, the cheese production space. Um, and this is separate from the dairy. So the milking will still happen than where it happens now, right? It does. Yeah. It does. And then there will also be a retail space. Yeah, we're hoping So to anyone who is traveling through Chester County, Northern <laughs> Chester County, will need to stop at the Bertrand Hills Farm Store. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you'll get to see those beautiful cows uh, and maybe see, you know, Sue with her kerchief on in the cheese room. Yes. Getting steamy. <laughs> um, Always with a cheese. smile. And this is the kind, you know, I almost feel like, this is like a uh, the culmination of I think what what was it 2014 where we had the cheese ball and the Kickstarter that 
we're raising funds for different components of this new creamery and it's been this long journey. And so like, it'll be so amazing to see that be ready and have you be ready to, you know, really ramp up the operation. It was so humbling going through that Kickstarter process to have the community of cheese lovers and supporters just like rally behind our farm. It was the most moving thing I've ever experienced in my life. And with those funds, we purchased a little cheese vat Mm -hmm. that we adore. It's a vat pasteurizer. We've been using it for a year. We've named her. Her name is Beatrice. We call her Little B with love. Isn't that a great name, (laughs) Beatrice? (laughs) Um, So we'll be bringing her over to Horseshoe Trail from the other facility to kind of be our little workhorse as we grow this business. We're excited Mm -hmm. about that. Lots of windows at the cheese room. In case any cows get out, I'll be able to like <laughs> give somebody a call up and be like, get, go get her. Half the time when we're trying to meet or have a phone call and Sue wasn't quite ready, we're like, oh, we bet a cow escaped. And she had to go chase Yeah. So, sometimes I'm on my cell phone up in the pasture because <laughs> I have terrible service. Um, and I think, uh, I think we're all really excited to see what that will look like. And we're excited that, you know, you've been able to, for yourself at least, solve that next generation family farm question that so many dairies are having to deal with. And we're going to, that's an issue that we want to like delve into more later because it's super, super important, not just in Pennsylvania, where dairy is, I think, the largest part of the agricultural sector, which is the largest part, uh, largest industry in the state. Um, you know, I'm sure that you guys can name several family farms and dairies and small dairies that have closed down in the recent years. So we're going to have um, six go out of business here in the next oh, no. 30 days, like 30 miles from our farm because of the milk market mm-hmm. is just so depressed right now. Mm. So people should, you know, be thinking about that. It's not just about buying artisan cheese. It's about understanding that when you lose dairy farms, you lose agricultural land. That's often, um, if, if it's, if it's a small, well-managed dairy, that's often, um, contributing more to the local environment than taking from it the way that development or, a uh, really large, um, uh, conventional agriculture might. Well, it's so um, interesting. Each dairy cow contributes for the local economy $12,000 back into that local economy. Wow. Really? And that is on fluid milk. So if we take it and think about it in the structure of cheese value added, mm-hmm. I would dare say it might go up into like That's amazing. per cow into the local economy, which is an economic booster. And that's important to all of us. And I think a diverse community is important to all of us. You know, where we are, we're at the intersection of, you know, a more suburban community. Mm -hmm. I have to say our dairy farm is one of the few dairy farms left in the region. And I think that that it should really be important to the community. You know, because people need to know where their food comes from. They need to be connected. Uh, and we're providing sort of that safe haven mm. for people in a way. That's amazing. Of community gathering, which is is interesting. And, you know, I think uh, with since our sons have come back, they're kind of driving that conversation mm-hmm. of what the future is going to look like for our farm. And it's been really uh really a wonderful experience for my husband and I, because, you know, we've had our time to drive this conversation (laughs) and now we can support what their vision is, you know, and balance it out. 
And that's really exciting, isn't it? That's so awesome. It's really exciting. And to have that that next generation sort of uh, invigorating a business. It's it's a wonderful success story. It really is. I think everyone could admire it. Yeah. We're so happy for you. Thank you. And we're excited that Collective Creamery can be a part of that, you know, expansion and next chapter. And we'll be checking in as things uh, unfold with your new space. Oh, most definitely. We'll be having some gathering opportunities, too, at the farm. So yeah, stay so we'll, tuned. We'll keep all you locals posted. Uh, and, you know, you can, you can always just swing by. <laughs> the <laughs> new farm Once it's door. open, yeah, it'll be amazing. Just can we, um, if we have time, can we talk about cheese? Because... Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about cheese We didn't yet. get to talk about cheese. <laughs> um, I want to hear, Sue, about the inspiration behind your cheeses that you make. And I want to hear about where you think... You want to be headed in your new facility. What are your dream cheeses that you want to be making? Oh, that is such a great question. They're two big questions. They are. I think, you know, our vision for the cheeses that we're making, you know, as Alex brought up earlier in the podcast, is that I just like, I'm going to make a blue cheese because I like to eat it without any thought to (laughs) the technical challenges of making that cheese. So Bertrand Blue and I have a really interesting relationship. There has been, it's like my wild child, but now we're, it's finally growing up and we we're like best buddies now. (laughs) Randy, Jesse and Blue. (laughs) My kids were so much easier than that cheese. Um, I often say every gray hair I have on my head came from that cheese. (laughs) And I'm so happy for that experience. Um, but that Bertrand Blue, I made started that because I thought, oh, I love blue cheese. Why not make it? And I live on the outskirts of Bertrandville. Let's just name it Bertrand Blue. Who doesn't want a cheese like that? <laughs> so that's how that cheese started. I'll spend my life in a very uh, complex relationship with that cheese, which will be really interesting. Fat Cat developed um, – Fat Cat's a semi-soft – farmhouse style or tome style cheese. And it actually started out of a mistake. Uh, My husband was helping me. He wasn't wearing glasses. He switched cultures. And it was uh, a mistake that turned into a beautiful mistake that we worked on reproducing. And I like to say that cheese is, um, my vision for that is what can I do with a minimal amount of interaction with just milk environment, humidity, and time. What Mm -hmm. does it want to be? And Mm. that is my fat cat. It's earthy. It's grassy. It's funky. It's unusual and familiar. So that's sort of, maybe it's like my personality. (laughs) You are an American original. I think it's my alter alter ego is fat cat. Um, We then made, actually, Equinox was the second cheese to to the blue. And Peter Dixon was like, I think you should make an Alpine-style cheese because of your milk. He was thinking, we're milking Holsteins. Their milk is a little bit thinner. That Alpine-style cheese doesn't need a lot of butter fat. It'll Mm. spin it off. That might be a good cheese. Sue Miller, that might be a good cheese for you to make. So we started making it, and it is a good cheese for us to make. And it really rounds out our kind of our cheese board. We love it. It's um, kind of burnt butter, toasted oats, very approachable, but lovely flavor. Uh, Red Cat. 
-hmm. Red Cat just developed out of the Fat Cat. It's a fun cheese. I was inspired by the Cowgirl Creamery who they take one base cheese and age them many different ways. Mm -hmm. So they take um, that Red Hawk, Mm -hmm. Mount Tam. When they wash it, it's Red Hawk. They can add some herbs to it. It becomes Pierce Point. I was just thinking this is really smart to take the technical – um, process of one cheese and, and manipulate it to create something new. So we take that fat cat, we put it in a different format, we wash it, keep it at a different humidity, and it's transformed from bright and tangy to rich and meaty, and we love it. So I think we have a more European aesthetic with sort of my southeastern Pennsylvania approach. <laughs> so and I think Red Cat is also like a, a real chef magnet because it's so stinky and complex and evocative of some of those like world cheeses that everybody loves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are really drawn to that cheese and we never have enough of it. We'll work on that in the coming year. <laughs> Next for us, I don't know. I think it's really important that Stephanie from Valley Milk House and I, I think it's really important that you and I collaborate on some new things. We, both of us, I think are really um, influenced by brewers collaborating. We don't see a lot of that in the cheese making mm. world and we're going to set a precedence of collaboration. <laughs> the Collective Creamery is an example of that. So look for some cheeses, more cheeses coming out this year. Some harder cheeses, long-age cheeses. I do this long-age cheese called Clipper that there's hardly any of it around. There's a huge demand for it. Um, it's aged 18 months. We'll be working on putting some of that in the cave. So if you're a lover of long-age cheeses, keep me in mind two years from now. <laughs> 2020, baby. <laughs> but I, I think there there is nothing – there's nothing quite like um, – you know, experimentation and collaboration to draw a cheesemaker out of her comfort zone, right? Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes we're so focused on creating a consistent product for distribution that um, it can be hard to, as we said before, it can be hard to be more whimsical and follow intuition and um, just kind of see how the milk in- evolves um, in its own way. And I think one of the beautiful things about collective creamery in our little cheese club is that it's it's a direct market for these experimentations it's like we've got a built-in audience for For our hop cheese for our yeah for our um adventures and mistakes equally (laughs) (laughs) we never call them that yeah i would say the the results have been positive so far and the feedback has been positive but yeah most definitely and that's one of the questions i want to ask you because one time sue you shook me you shook me to the core when you talked Mm -hmm. about intuition and Maybe if we're running out of time, this could be the last question, but I want to hear you talk a little bit about how intuition has fed your process. Oh my gosh. My whole, I think my whole existence is about following intuition because when I don't follow it, it comes back to bite me and Mm. I am reminded of it from the biggest points and the smallest points, even if it's going to market. And my intuition might say, you need to take this, this, and this. And I might be like a little bit of a slacker that morning and not take this, this, and this, <laughs> and darned if I don't have a need for them every time. So I think it's really important to find yourself in this quiet headspace. And for me, it comes, it used to come when I milked cows. Mm-hmm. My intuition was a real driver, but it's happens to me at the cheese vat because I'm there, you know, just paddling my milk 
like I'm in a canoe paddling away, <laughs> um, you know, and just being in the ri- rhythm and letting, you know, the information come to you and being open to listening to it. That whole fat cat cheese was really built on intuition mm-hmm. after that initial mistake. And, and I'm trying to balance science and art, science and craft. And really to me, the art and the craft is the intuition part of it. And I think that that really drives the conversation of our cheeses. It's like, how do we balance intuition and science to create and hone our craft? which happens to be cheese making. We're pretty freaking lucky. Maybe that's why women are so good <laughs> at it. There's that there is some, you know, intuitive uh female touch that, you know, you see there are a lot of women cheesemakers in our uh state. And I think that's something to celebrate. It is something Absolutely. to celebrate, and I don't think that's the case everywhere. You know, I think Wisconsin may have a I we, I'd love to hear this. Are there more men or women? More women coming on for sure. We'll have to do some other, research like, and get back to this. I know. If well, anybody yeah. knows, let us know. I one one thing I loved about reading uh Alana Koshroba's book um about butter was mm-hmm. how much she focuses on the dairy made uh sure. historically. And that's kind of a I don't know, it's it's I, I don't make cheese, but as as women working with dairy you have made cheese. who work with female animals. Um, it's like, to me, it's the province of women, uh, and, you know, not just for your own homestead, but now you guys are doing it as a profession. And so to me, it really, it really fits, um, that that's what, you know, you know, uh, what is it called? The feminist cheese article in the New York times, like, right. Duh. (laughs) It totally makes sense. There's, there's something very, um, feminine and positive Mm. about those things. And I think women are able to bring the best of what they can to their craft, yeah, that's really cool. And then we can nourish others through that craft. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like it's just perfect. It's a it's a positive way to express that femininity, I think. It is. Yeah. It is. And in short of that, we can arm wrestle everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you pierce a lot of blue cheese. You're not bad on that arm wrestling trail. Great oh shoulder string. <laughs> <laughs> right, Steve? Absolutely. Uh, we could give anybody a run for their money. <laughs> Thank you so much, too, for spilling. No. You're an inspiration. Uh, no, really thank you. you. We are. We, I'm just thrilled to be uh, here with both of you. So thanks. And we're thrilled to keep sharing the stories of amazing domestic cheesemakers. So stay tuned for more stories in our future episodes. Collective Creamery is Stephanie Angstadt, Sue Miller, and Alex Jones. Jordan Heil produced the podcast, and Mike Lorenz wrote our music. You can hear him on Thursday nights at the Tired Hands Brew Cafe in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can learn more and subscribe to our cheese subscription at collectivecreamery.com.